People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Welcome to Kidney Talk. Hey, Lori, how are you? I'm doing great. I haven't seen you in ages. I know. It's been at least, what, a week? A one week, exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't know what you've been up to lately, Stephen, but I have been remodeling my house. We, oh, you know, that that could be so stressful. That's as bad as kidney disease. <laughs> it, you know, but I just keep thinking about the final outcome. Uh, that's what, all a I transplant? Think... <laughs> no, actually, when the project's finished and ah. how I'll have this uh, nice space that, you know, we want to put make, like a little TV room because where our living room is, there's a big window that shines in on our TV. So we're actually making another room. So. It's so be exciting. a TV room, wow. Well, it's actually going to be like a den with a, you know, like a movie room, because we are big movie buffs You know, one of, it's funny, because I, I stayed at a fancy hotel one time, and they had a TV in the bathroom. A TV in the bathroom? Right, and it was so fun. I, I would spend, you know, uh, so much time watching TV in the <laughs> and bathroom. And this little tiny TV, probably. Right, but you know what was so confusing is uh, uh, a commercial came on, and I got up from the bathroom, and I went to the bed, and I went to the bathroom in the bed. Oh, so no, oh, no. Well, was... you know, today we're going to be talking about, you know, understanding anemia. Do you know what anemia is? Anemia. It starts with an A. Yes, can you spell it? A, anemia. No, I can't. <laughs> A-N-E-M-I-A. Oh, good, good. See, I was a good speller when I was Oh, but child. I love this doctor. He's so interesting. I've heard him speak before. Yeah, Dr. Mahesh Krishna. He's the medical director of Amgen. He works in the dialysis services department. And, you know, he used to be a, a practicing nephrologist in Virginia, where you're from. Yes, and he practiced so well, he graduated. He graduated and came out here to sunny Southern and California. And he went to John Hopkins University. That sounds very impressive. It does. You know, whenever I hear somebody has gone to John Johns Hopkins. It's it's like wow. How did you ever? How, how did you ever even get accepted there? It just sounds so. They won't even let me in the door <laughs> at the cafeteria at John Hopkins. Have you been to that cafeteria before? It's a great cafeteria. And you know, we also wrote this book for people who have kidney disease, the Kidney Guide. It, actually, a resource for patients it's like and the family members. Hitchhiker's yes. Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, it's called but the it's kidney the Kidney guide. guide to exactly. understand how the kidneys work and how what you can do to live a a healthy life in spite of having chronic kidney disease. So we have a lot to talk about, and we're yes. going to we're going to uh, feel good talking to Doctor. What's his name again? Doctor Mahesh Krishnan. Krishnan, Mahesh Krishnan. I lo- you know I had an uncle Mahesh Krishnan once. Isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> Hi, my name is Jenny Huey. There is a critical shortage of organs. Ninety-one thousand people are waiting for a transplant. I am one of those people waiting for a kidney, like many of you listening. I wait for my transplant coordinator to call me with the good news, that they have a kidney for me. Other young women my age are waiting for that special someone who they met online at that dating website, Match.com, to call, and I'm waiting for the right cross-match. It is important that we all inform our friends, family, and coworkers about the importance of becoming a donor and to make sure they sign a donor card. Also, they need to discuss this very important decision with their family. We all need to bring awareness to the public about the importance of giving the gift of life 
so I can continue on with my life, dialysis free, and have guys waiting patiently by the phone for me. Well, we're here with Dr. Mahesh Krishnan. Now Welcome say that three show. times fast. Say it three times fast, <laughs> Mahesh Lori. Mahesh Krishnan, Mahesh Krishnan, Mahesh Krishnan. <laughs> great, great. Now, they used to call you mashed potatoes in uh, school. That was a uh, nursery school. That happened once. <laughs> One time in nursery school. And that was the teacher. The teacher called no, you No, not the teacher. Oh, thank goodness. Well, thank you so much for coming down. You're welcome. And, and talking to us. Well, tell us a little bit about what, what is anemia? You know, the anemia is a condition that actually occurs in a lot of different conditions, but basically um, the one that we focus on a lot is anemia and kidney disease. And the way I like to explain it is the kidneys are kind of like a thermostat, and they kind of tell the body when to make more blood or less blood. And sometimes as your kidneys start to, to deteriorate as they start to go, and that could be an early kidney disease or, or by the time you're on dialysis, that thermostat isn't working. And so it doesn't really matter what you do. Without a thermostat, your house is still going to be cold. Without enough enough production of, of a chemical called erythropoietin. It's a chemical that the kidneys produce to cause the body to make more blood. It's what the thermostat actually does. So just like in your house, if you turn on your thermostat, what would happen is it would send a signal down to your furnace and your furnace would kick on. When the kidneys produce erythropoietin, it's the same thing. That's the stuff that actually goes down to your bone marrow, tells it, hey, we need to produce more red blood cells. And that's what actually improves the amount of red blood cells that you, you make. And that actually is something that prevents anemia. So one of the things that causes anemia is just your kidneys aren't working as well as they used to. So it, it just actually happens in the body because your thermostat's not working so well. Yeah. So what happens is the erythropoietin is produced by the kidney itself. And if the kidney tissue becomes damaged, and that can occur from a lot of different reasons, um, including high blood pressure and diabetes, as you have less and less kidney function, the amount of cells that can actually make that erythropoietin, how well the thermostat works actually goes down. And if you have no kidney function and you may be on dialysis, then there's no thermostat happening at all, and you may need to have, have that addressed differently. And erythropoietin is basically a hormone, is that correct? Yeah, so it's a hormone that's produced by cells that are located within the kidney. Now, is, is that how they came up with the name of epogen? Um, it's related. So what you see as a poetin or epigen is actually a synthetic version of that chemical. So the body makes erythropoietin, which is the natural hormone, is, as we were talking about. I always about. wonder where they come up with the names for <laughs> these know. drugs, you know, like uh, Claritin. You know, where do they come up? Because in the small print, you see a really long medical-sounding <laughs> name. And where do they come up with that? Is it like some guy's wife named Claire or something? I, uh, you know, I think erythropoietin and epigen, the, the names are similar because of, of, of that. But I think a lot of this has to probably do with uh, market research, just like when they name a new exactly. product, like that's they what they do. they name a new company, yeah. they come up with these names. That's right. And, and nobody's ever heard of it before. It's a brand new exactly. name. Exactly. And people get paid a lot of money to come up with these names. <laughs> you know, nobody ever pays me money to come up with these names. <laughs> you know, I came up with the name of cheese nips. Now, what, what causes anemia now? So in chronic kidney disease, it's the kidney actually not working as well and not producing enough of this hormone. There are other conditions that can cause anemia. So, for example, in cancer, when you get chemotherapy, the chemotherapy actually affects your, your blood cells and their ability to produce more red blood cells. And 
so chemotherapy can cause anemia. Uh, chronic conditions like tuberculosis, HIV, those kind of things can also cause anemia. Um, and then the most common form of anemia is actually called iron deficiency anemia, and that's what people may have in, in the population that don't have kidney disease or cancer or anything like that. The relative um, amount of anemia that you have is probably worse with chemotherapy and, and dialysis-related causes and least with iron deficiency anemia. You know what I was really surprised about is how much the kidney does regulate, you know, almost every aspect in your body. When my kidney started to fail... I know that, you know, my potassium went up and yeah. my phosphorus went up. I was, uh, you know, uh, anemic. You know, it just everything goes out of whack. It's, uh, you know, I'm a nephrologist. I'm a little biased. <laughs> but it's sort of the, the center of the, the universe. You know, I, I tell my friends, the cardiologists, that the only reason the heart is there is to provide enough blood for the kidneys. I tell my I like friends, you know, that's, that's yes. just the way I am. The only reason I tell my hematology friends that the only reason why there's bone marrow is so it can respond to the erythropoietin that's produced by the kidneys. So, you know, I'm... Kidneys I'm a, are the master Kidneys chemist. are the masters, but, but you're right. Not only do they regulate... You know, a lot of people just think that kidneys get rid of waste products and toxins. Right, exactly. Which is what they do a lot. Right. But in addition to that, they do a lot of other things. We talked about their control in terms of anemia. You talked about the control in terms of, of bone and calcium and phosphorus. And that has to do with the ability of the kidney to make vitamin D. We take vitamin D in with foods and by hanging out in the sunshine. Mm -hmm. But in order for it to get turned on, in order for it to get activated and allow the body to actually use it appropriately, it's got to go through the kidney. And again, if you don't have enough kidney function, that's not necessarily going to happen. The kidney is like the activator. Exactly. It activates it. It activates it. It's like it. the director of a movie. That's it's, right. Exactly. It's, uh, nothing, nothing. The kidneys are the directors of your body. <laughs> How would I know that? <laughs> you, know, you know what amazed me? I, I Recently, Lori and I went on location and did this show in Seattle. Uh-huh. And... Um, there was a doctor there who had diseased kidneys in little baggies on display, and they were sliced in half. <laughs> really? It Long was a couple way. weeks before Halloween. It was perfect. <laughs> and it was it was it was so amazing to see the different diseased kidneys. One was the uh, what was the polycystic cyst- kidney polycystic kidney, kidney which I saw. Yeah. And then uh, that was amazing. It was very large and lots of little tumors all over the place. I don't know and how well it was preserved. It looks kind of dry. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and, and the other one was, it was a kidney, but it was like so small, like it was shrunken. Right. Well, kidneys are usually, if you make a fist, uh-huh. your kidneys are about the size of your fist. That's a normal ah, size kidney. So right. they do a lot of work for such a small piece of equipment. Um, polycystic kidney disease, as you point out, that tends to cause a lot of these bubbles or cysts. Just like if you bump your tire up against the side of the curb, you get a little bubble, bubble. inside of your tire. Right. That's what polycystic kidney disease except there's many, 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 many of those bubbles that occur, and that's why the kidney looks so large. And as you, if you have high blood pressure or diabetes, what can happen is that the kidneys start to shrink after a while, and that's the kidneys scarring down and, and being less able to function. And not only do they function less in terms of the ability to get rid of water and waste products, they also function less in terms of the other things we mentioned as well, including regulating anemia. So the well diabetics as, get the smaller kidneys. So yeah, hypertension definitely strikes it down. Diabetes uh-huh. originally can cause the kidneys to swell up a little bit, but then over time they'll well, they can shrink as well. Yeah, I know. It's so I kind of like have a mini me kidney then, I guess. I don't. I, I didn't have any <laughs> kidneys for for twelve years. You know, zero. They took your kidneys out. They took them out, and um, they just left them out. And they left them out I because no I thought, kidneys for twelve years. Because when you get a transplant, they just add an extra kidney in. Well, they don't take the other ones out. When they gave me my first two transplants, <clears throat> they put the kidneys in, and then they took them out. So at one time, I could have actually had five kidneys, but now <laughs> I have one. They took them out I, because you had bad credit. 
Yes, I didn't pay for them. I guess they took them back. But anyways, what, what are some of the tests that they have available to determine if uh, you are anemic? Yeah, it's actually a pretty simple blood test. Uh, a very common blood test that people get when they go to the doctor's office or when they go to the hospital is called a CBC, mm-hmm. and it's a complete blood count. <clears throat> and there, there's a number in there called a hemoglobin, and also a number called a hematocrit. And some people get those confused. It's it's pretty straightforward. If you take the hemoglobin, which is one number, and you multiply it by three, you get the other number, right. which is uh, the hematocrit. I always I always grew up learning about hematocrit. Hematocrit right. was a standard that right. you know, it would be 35 or 32 right. or 24. I remember one time it was 24. 24 has been on the low side. Yes, that was when I was getting blood transfusions <laughs> every six weeks. I mean, uh, my hematocrit would be like 24, 25, and they would transfuse me Yeah. before um, uh, erythropoietin was available. A, a normal, he, so we can either talk in hematocrits or hemoglobins. Hematocrits, most people understand. Again, hemoglobins are a, th- a third of that. So a normal hematocrit is somewhere in the in the 40s. It depends on who you are, and women tend to have slightly lower hematocrits as time goes on. Um, the guidelines that we follow and would say that you should try to keep the hemoglobins or the hematocrits between 33 and 36 for the hematocrit, which translates to about um, 11 to 12 as the hemoglobin. And that's sort of the target range. And so a lot of these these therapies are meant to try to keep you within that range. And one of, one of the other things that I would learn is that sometimes uh, this was a trick that if you have a lot of fluid on board or something like that, that can actually mess up some of your lab value. So it's good to have your, you know, your labs and make sure that you're at a correct dry weight. Yeah. You know, I think if you think about it, hemoglobin is kind of like uh, watercolor in a way. You know, and my kids paint with their watercolor. If you add too much water into the watercolor becomes really, really dilute. And hemoglobin is actually a pigment. So if you are on dialysis and you have a lot of extra water on board, that can actually change the readings a little bit. And so keeping to a good dry weight, which is good for you to begin with. Check for edema, do all those things. Exactly. That that not only will prevent you from going to the hospital, but it'll also give you an accurate reading as to where your hemoglobin is. Well, yeah. how will I know if the treatment is working? Let's say I was, you know, I got my lab results and my uh, hematocrit 31. What are some of the things I can do to make sure that I'm not anemic? Well, I think a lot of the time it's it's coming to dialysis and making sure you get your medications. Um, Epigen, which most people are on, is given with every dialysis session. So if you miss that dialysis session, you may not get your treatment for mm-hmm. that time. Um, a lot of it also has to do with how well you're eating as well. You know, we know that nutrition is a really is a really right. big factor. It's really important. And if you're not well, if you're not eating well, that can cause all sorts of other problems. Um, also, if there's a problem or an issue, like if there's a di- if there's a foot ulcer, if there's a if, a, if there's something that's infected. Or, or painful, you want to take care of that very quickly. because yeah, infection causes anemia, doesn't it? Yeah, what happens is infection causes inflammation, and inflammation reduces, and inflammation changes how well the, the drugs work and actually how well iron is moved through the body. And both those two factors can actually cause you to become more anemic. So it's very important to take care of yourself, um, not just from the, from, the, from, the, from the infection standpoint, but also impacts other things as well. Well, when we come back, we're going to find out some more stuff. I, you know, I'm learning a lot of stuff today, i got to tell you. <laughs> exactly. I didn't know. Do you feel anemic? Do I feel anemic? <laughs> yes. No, I, I just had coffee. That's why. <laughs> coffee gets rid of my anemia. It's, 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 it's almost as good as epigen. <laughs> and now it's time to ask the nephrologist. How can I know if I'm getting enough dialysis? And here's Dr. Alan Nissenson with the answer. This is one of the uh, $64,000 questions, and I'll start out by giving you my bias. My bias is no patient ever gets enough dialysis, and I say that because think about 
the way your kidneys work. Your kidneys operate 168 hours a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Then we, we decide to do dialysis three days a week, three or four hours at a time. So now we're providing 10 to 12 hours a week when your kidneys are normally operating 168 hours a week. And you don't have to be a scientist or a nephrologist or a doctor or anyone to understand this couldn't possibly be a great way to do things. It happens to be minimally okay because it does keep people alive. It does improve quality of life, but it's not perfect by any means. So that's the opening premise is that no dialysis, in my opinion, is ever going to be enough. And that's why I encourage all of my patients, unless there's some serious medical uh, reasons why this is not possible, to explore and pursue kidney transplantation because that's a whole different ballgame in terms of the amount of kidney function you get. But if that's not possible or if there's an enormous waiting list and you have to be on dialysis, then one of the challenges is to figure out how to make sure you get at least enough dialysis to get the advantages of it. And we've tried to approach this by gaining a better understanding of the toxins we're trying to remove. We have lots of mathematical formulas we use to do calculations to figure out whether uh, we're removing enough of these toxins. One is called the KT over V. It's really simple arithmetic. It, it's K, which is the clearance of the dialyzer, the ability of the dialyzer to remove toxins. T, the amount of time that you spend on the machine. And V represents the size of your body or the part of your body where all the toxins are dissolved. And these are easily measured. We do this with, with blood tests that we draw during the dialysis treatment. We do a calculation and we come up with a number and we say, if you're not getting at least this a number, which the current number is 1.2, no units, just sort of this n number, abstract number out there. But as long as you're getting at least that, that's the minimum you need to be getting. In my own practice, uh, I encourage patients to get at least 20% more than that at a minimum, and all of my patients get that. Um, again, the ultimate goal is to get back up to something closer to what normal kidneys do. That's been part of the push to do dialysis more frequently and for longer periods of time or to get kidney transplants. But at least for the time being, that's sort of the best we can do. The Ask a Nephrologist segment of this program is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition. The Renal Support Network and the Renal Physicians Association make no representations or warranties and provide no guarantees of any kind as to the accuracy of any information provided during the Ask a Nephrologist segment. Oh. I just love pretzels. Let's, let me see here. One serving is six pretzels? What, are they kidding me? Who only ate six pretzels? I have to stay on my renal diet. I know. I can bite part of one pretzel, then bite the side of another pretzel, and then I hook them together, and I can count that as one pretzel. Mmm. Boy, that was good. You know what I love now? A big gulp. Now if I fill it up halfway and then drink it and refill it to the top, now that won't count towards my daily fluid intake. Or will it?
Make the connection. Eating high-sodium foods makes you thirsty, which will make you retain more fluids. Do you want to share a tip on how to stay within your fluid limit? Email us at kidneytalk at rsnhope.org, and we'll let our listeners in on your different tips. Oh, I feel nice. sugar and spice. I feel nice. sugar and spice. You know, I want to talk to you about nutrition because I know that I really, I grew up, I was like 320 pounds in high school. And I, I, 10 years ago, I went on a very, you know, strenuous diet to lose all this weight. And now I'm finding that I just don't have an appetite. I'm not eating as much. And is that compared a Compared to what? Compared to an elephant. <laughs> what do you mean compared to what? what wait, well, I'm just trying to say you're not as eating as much as what? As you used to eat, or of course not. I was three hundred and twenty <laughs> pounds, you know. But uh, I, you know, I, I just find that I'm eating like two meals a day, and I know hmm. my doctor keeps getting, you know, after me because I wake up and I'm not really that hungry, so I eat like around ten thirty, eleven, and then I'll eat at like four, hmm. and then I'm I just don't. I'm not hungry. Well, you know what? One thing you should probably check is to make sure that if you're on dialysis, you're getting enough dialysis. And there's numbers that tell you if you get enough dialysis. What happens is that the body, one of the major waste products the kidneys get rid of is related to how much protein you eat. And so sometimes if you're not getting rid of enough waste products, if you're not yet on dialysis, or even when you're on dialysis and you're not clearing it fast enough, the body tries to shut down your appetite because it figures in a short-sighted way that if you can stop eating, that'll make the kidney have less work to do, which is true. It doesn't really help the rest of the body. <laughs> I know. But so that's something that's very important. So if you're on dialysis, you know, it's, it's important to make sure that you're getting enough dialysis because if you don't get enough, the body will do the same thing. It'll say, hey, all these waste products are, are, are showing up in my body and I've got to try to get rid of them and I can't get rid of them. So I'm going to actually shut down the appetite. I know I get really hungry while I'm on dialysis. After about an hour on dialysis, I, I my appetite, I'm going, God, I can't wait to get off. I'm starving, you know. And that may be that as you get on dialysis, you're clearing off a lot of waste products in a short period of time. Your body mm -hmm. wakes up and says, hey, waste products are gone. Maybe it's time to, to, to eat time some to more. Eat. And I always lecture you because, you know, it's not good to eat twice a day when you're diabetic. You're supposed to no, set an example. Small you're meals. a host of kidney talk. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. I didn't say that. I eat, I eat seven times a day. So, so uh, other than epigen, how else can you treat anemia? You know, it's a combination of two things. So you want to make sure that um, the iron is adequate, and so we, we give iron, we monitor iron on dialysis, and then epigen is the other, other agent that's used to improve it. Um, those are probably the two major factors, both the epigen in combination with iron. I know that um, right now I'm taking um, EPO. I have to give myself injections. It's been for the last couple of years, and you know I've taken iron pills. And it's hard to take iron. I mean, iron's not a very fun product. No. Um, you know, one of the unfortunate side effects of iron is you get constipated. Yes. You said <laughs> it, not me. I mean, man. Um, so there's different things that you can do. Um, and sometimes you have to take a lot of iron, and, and that results in even exactly. more constipation. So there's some, some irons you can take with, like, laxatives or with stool softeners mm -hmm. that help with that. Um, you know, people actually say that, that iron that comes from 
like meat is actually better for better. you um, in terms of I just of, need to go out for that. steak dinner more go. often. I got to tell my <laughs> husband, take me out for a steak. But it, it just depends. You know, in order to make red blood cells, it's mm-hmm. it's like bricks and mortar. You don't just need the, the epigen. You also need the iron, iron. And it's hard to do one without the other. You couldn't build a house just out of bricks. You couldn't build a house just out of mortar. Right. And so to get the iron is really important. And especially if, if you're on dialysis, they'll give you the iron intravenously with the dialysis. If well, you're not on dialysis or, or if you had a transplant, then you've got to take oral iron, and that's where the complications right, come up. Right, exactly. Or if you're on peritoneal dialysis, exactly you have to right. take oral, oral and, iron. And so right. what is like, what is, is hectorol, is that iron? That's a vitamin D, actually. <laughs> oh, that's vitamin D. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting my drugs you're confused. You're getting your drug. I think you're on too many drugs, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think I'm on crack, actually. <laughs> well, one of the things that would happen to me, and maybe you can help explain, is that once I understood what anemia was and how I really felt with it, that I really understood my body and understood how I felt. But a lot of times I talk to different people who have kidney disease, and they just start to accept the chronicity. Yeah. And, you know, you really have to take control and understand this because it'll slowly get upon, you know, come upon you. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm just tired. I don't want to do this today. Yeah, it, it's a good point. You know, uh, the way that anemia of chronic kidney disease sets out, is a slow disease process, slow insidious disease. It's not like you're driving down the highway, you have a blowout in your tire and you got to pull over quickly because it's an emergency. It's sort of a slow leak. You know, it's one of those things where you're driving the car, it works fine, little sluggish, works okay, and then one day you come out the door and it's completely flat tire. And when that happens, your body sort of gets used to that and you, you accept that as the norm. And so when people get anemic, you know, if they've had like something severe, like they, they had a, a gastrointestinal bleed and their, their hemoglobin's dropped rapidly, they feel really tired really quickly. But as you point out, Lori, a lot of the times if it's a really slow, gradual leak in that tire, you're not going to feel it until... Un- until you, it gets better. And so I hear what you're saying. I, I've heard that a lot. People say, you know, I feel I feel the fatigue. And right. then when you treat them, they feel much better. They just didn't realize how fatigued they felt. You just got to take the stair test. At a 32 to 33 hematocrit, I can't walk up a flight of stairs without losing my breath. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, is my test, that that's something. I don't know if I'm out of shape or something, but, you know, when my hematocrit's higher, I don't experience that. So it's closer to 36. Yes. Um, or just, yeah, just a little bit higher, but that's my threshold. Right. When it's below that, I start to lose breath, my breath when I'm walking up a flight of stairs. And that's very common because what the hematocrit is doing for you is it's allowing you to get the oxygen right. from the air. Because the and red bring blood it down cells carry tissue. those oxygens Exactly all over. right. Um, you know, athletes have this problem. You know, a lot of athletes, if they go to high altitudes, like they go to Denver or they go to other places and they try to do the same amount of exercise, they get tired really quickly. And the reason why that's the case is it's not that there's less blood in Denver. It's that the, with the altitude, there's less oxygen that right. high. And so it's the equivalent. It's the exact same as what you're saying. So they feel more anemic. They, they call it the mile-high city. So, uh, you know, a diet is really, really important. Like, do you recommend eating liver and stuff like stuff I hate? <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think liver, but I think you know I think meats Steak. are good. Um, you know, red meats are good. Liver obviously has a lot of iron in it, um, but you don't have to eat liver. You can eat other things as well. Um, it just seems like like sometimes people, if they have to take oral iron, um, you can either get oral iron from from medications or from your diet. And I think certain things in your diet probably give you a better sense. Like spinach is good, but you have to be careful because it can be high in potassium. Like if you cook and it, if it's you higher. cook it, if yeah. you eat a spinach salad, it's fine. But right. Cooking spinach just you get tons of potassium. If right. you're on a potassium right. limit. You, you want to be very careful because, as you pointed out earlier, you know, if, if if you eat more potassium or more phosphorus than you're taking out, then that's going to cause it to build up in your body. It's like your bank account. If you're, if you're putting money in 
faster than you're taking it out. You're going to build up your bank account. I've had that experience. <laughs> you know. Now, one of the questions I have about, let's say I have a hematocrit like 30, and you know I'm trying to build it up to the to where I'm supposed to be. How long does that take? Is it something, does it take a week, two weeks, a month? I mean, when can I start seeing results if I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah, it really varies by the person. Um, so there's a lot of different responses. And so if you're just if you're just taking iron, it may take longer than if, if, if you're taking iron as well as epigen or, or, or something along those lines. Usually you'll see a response within uh, two to four weeks, but everyone's different. Um, or I've had people- So it's at least two weeks. It doesn't happen like I'm not going to it's not. Sh- it's not. I'm not going to get it, and then the next day yeah. feel great. And okay, even bummer. even in two weeks, <laughs> and even in two weeks, your body will start making blood, but you feeling that effect may take a little longer as well. Um, and it's really dependent. You know, I've seen people, like you say, who can who can tell if they're at a 30 compared to a 32. And I've had people that are down at like 28, and it makes no difference. You know, they can't really feel they a difference. They can't tell a difference. It, and it really depends on the person. Yes, I know that's one of the things that I want, those instant results. But it takes, so it could take, if you have an infection, you've been sick, it can take even longer sometimes. Yeah, sometimes infection and inflammation, all those things can can reduce the body's ability to even do anything with anything. And so if you have an infection or inflammation, it may actually reduce how, it may actually reduce how well the drugs work or how well the iron works, and it can actually take longer for you to see an effect. Does, does exercise play a part with anemia? Oh, my God. I was just going to ask that. <laughs> Sorry. It was so funny. That, no, that it's, we're, we're on the same wavelength. Oh, my I goodness. Was just that's scary. Talk about exercise. <laughs> you know, exercise, like you said with the stairs, I think exercise tells you how well your body's able to respond to things. And so if you're anemic, you may not be able to do as much exercise. You don't feel like exercising. Well. That's exactly right. You know. um, but doing more exercise or less exercise doesn't really influence your anemia. It's just, it, it'll it'll it's just definitely drive you. out that symptom. But, you know, yeah, exercise good is good for you because it'll, it'll keep you in good shape. Yeah, that's one of the things that I found when I'm anemic. It's the television is my best friend. <laughs> A couch potato, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it's really frustrating because you're like, what, what do I need to do? And then you have to wait a couple weeks for it to rise. Right. And come back, so you can't just get fixed. Well, when you're on dialysis, the television does become your best friend. (laughs) That's true, doesn't it? If you don't read books, or if you don't read, I couldn't read when. um, Sometimes it's hard to read when you're on dialysis. I hear too, because there's so many. Well, it's hard to turn the pages. Well, if you if you have a fistula or a graft, yeah, and you're you're hooked. And, and it's in your yes. form. It's, you're right. It's really tough yeah, to turn it's very tough Use your toes. <laughs> Use my toes. I'm not as short as you. My toes can't reach the face. Thank you so much for coming in and uh, talking about anemia. You're welcome. I hope we didn't tire you out. No, no. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Happy and to help. Hello. Hi, Mom. Boy, that was some storm last night, huh? We actually lost power for a few minutes. Oh, you think that was bad? You should have seen the one back in 52. Well, now that you're on dialysis, you should really have a plan in case of an emergency. Ha! Last emergency I had was when you got your head stuck in the hamster cage. Scared the little fellow to death, those big eyes just staring at him. I'm talking about emergencies, like severe weather, earthquakes, or power outages. What if there was no water or transportation to get you to dialysis? It's important to be prepared. You mean like carrying important medical information? Or asking your facility for alternative arrangements for treatment? Or preparing emergency stock of supplies, foods, and medicines? Or learning what diet to follow if your dialysis must be delayed? You already knew all this? I've got to run, Sonny. I'm late for taekwondo. Bye, Mom. I 
I knew that you would. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I do. I learned a lot talking to the doctor about anemia. And understanding how, you know, how it's treated and how it works and um, what we can do about it. And, and know, what happens really when you don't do something you, about when it. When you don't do something about it. And also, you know, I just want to really reemphasize to the people listening out there is that for us patients who are over 17 years in the kidney community, um, anemia was such a huge issue. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I used to have to get two units of blood every six weeks just to be able to function to treat my anemia. And, and that's before, uh, before the drugs became before available. the drugs became yeah. available. And at this time when the drugs were becoming available, um, AIDS was so prevalent. So you worried about blood transfusions and stuff. Everybody was so worried about getting HIV and AIDS. I remember one time I was getting a blood transfusion in the hospital, and it was right at the verge of when HIV was just being discovered, or AIDS, I guess it was called at the time. And people were walking around the hospital in spacesuits, and I didn't know anything about it. Nobody knew that it was a virus, nothing. And then but they you found were, out. You were not really in a hospital. You were at a sci fi convention, right? <laughs> no, I was actually in a hospital. Oh That's my God. how and they were somebody passed away. Yeah, somebody passed away. And it was at the end of the corridor, and they quarantined it off. And they weren't sure. I mean, nobody even knew what AIDS was. And this was, you know, when I was younger. But I remember that. And then once they did understand it was a virus and it was coming from the blood primarily, the people who were receiving blood transfusions got very scared. But we needed it to live. Yes, of course. You know, and you know what I always found amazing is that they, how they pinpointed the introduction to, of AIDS to one person uh, being introduced in North America. You know, who was that? Uh, it was person? a it was a French Canadian man. Um, he was a airline steward, like an airline flight, atten- Fle- flight attendant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, I don't know how they pinpointed him as being the carrier. The carrier that brought it over. Brought it over here. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, now that we know how to feel good, I think I'm going to plan on going dancing tonight. And ask like, my husband to take me out for a steak dinner. Like Dancing with the Stars. Dancing. Oh, I love that show. I want to wear those costumes. That's my goal. Yeah, they don't make them that little. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information.
The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.